You're listening to Tech Nest, the PropTech Podcast. In each episode, you'll hear from PropTech founders, investors, and industry veterans on how they're using tech to change the way we buy, sell, and invest in real estate. Discover market opportunities, interesting data, growth tactics, and trends driving the industry forward. This isn't just another podcast about making money in real estate. This is about how we live. And now your host, Nate Smoyer. All right, property management, a high-touch people business. So what does it mean to be a tech-enabled property management company? And we've had a few uh, come on the show. And in fact, uh, two of those companies have been repeats. So there's a lot to talk about. And there's a few different ways, I think, in trying to approach this business. And I'm excited for this one because uh, I think that this is a, a different approach. We've got Nick Farquhar. He is the CEO of a company called Appreciate. And you can find them online, appreciate.io. Appreciate, you know, they describe themselves as a tech-enabled property management. And that's one of the early questions I asked Nick. Is like, hey, what does that mean? What, where does that go from there? Is it just because you're using email and DocuSign or is there more to it? And you got to listen to this one. He talks through about why they're verticalizing the business, how deep they're going into data, their different approach, how they even see adding a lot of value and educating their clients and helping them make sure that they get all the tax advantages they deserve. And they have a unique revenue model in that they don't charge turnover fees. They don't upcharge on maintenance. It's very interesting. They're coming out the Midwest. you got to love good Midwest startups. And I really do. I show a lot of love and support for the Midwest. They don't get all the attention in the headlines like the Coastals. And not, not hating on the Coastals. Just saying there's something a little bit different that happens in the center of the country. Anyway, um, I don't want to delay it too far. Let's jump in, hear what Nick has to say. Hey, Nick. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Nate. Nice to meet you. Yeah, I'm excited to have you here. Uh, I see you're, you're down in Austin enjoying South By. What's the, the best thing you've come across or I maybe witnessed <laughs> so far? Well, it's, it's, a, uh, it's a pretty long list, um, but Rainy Street's pretty fun. I, I'm realizing I, I definitely should have gotten a platinum badge this year. I think that I will make sure not to make that mistake next time around. But it's been an awesome time so far. Excited to be here throughout the rest of the week. Yeah, you know, every year I literally have said, one of these days I, or one of these years, I'm going to get down. I'm going to go. I've never been to South by Southwest. And I was like, I'm going to go. I'm going I'm to experience it. I'm going to see what all the hype is all about. And you know what happens every year? I don't even know what's happening until I see tweets about it. <laughs> so, you know, the closest I ever got was the year it shut down for COVID. Uh, but, uh, hey, you know, fingers crossed. There's always next year. Maybe we'll get to it. Um, well, I'm excited for our conversation here. Uh, obviously, we're going to talk a little bit more focused, getting into tech-enabled property management uh, and all the, the fun stuff that comes with that. So before I reveal too much here, uh, as we always do, please introduce yourself, let everyone know who you are and what you do. Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Nick Farquhar. I am the CEO of Appreciate. We are a tech-enabled property management company, which is, um, I'm sure, a little bit odd on your show. You know, uh, a lot of SaaS models, horizontal, but 
What we're building right now is um, pretty cool in my opinion because it uh, it really started with my personal problem. If, if you don't mind, I might as well just kind of dive Jump into, into that side of things. Awesome. Um, so I went to school for finance and real estate. Um, I'm uh, at, I went to the University of Missouri, and while I was there, I started accumulating a low-income housing portfolio. And um, kind of what I had ran into time and time again was as I was going through my accounting with my property manager that I was using, it was super hard to understand where money was going um, to deep, deep dive into the granularity of like which units are performing, which tenants are performing. Uh, hey, I thought I you know replaced that fridge last summer kind of questions. And uh, overall, I, I seem to really struggle to um, keep my head on straight, I guess. And so the origin of Appreciate really started as a way for, um, well, I'll, I'll start here. We won Startup Weekend in um, Columbia, Missouri last year, which is, you know, just a kind of a standard pitch competition, but it's a, it's a big one in Missouri, sort of around the idea of mm-hmm. um, granularity within accounting and being able to use that to inform um, tenant segmentation. So, you know, uh, we always thought that it was kind of crazy that great tenants paid the same rates as bad tenants. Um, and so we were trying to get into that market. That's not really what we do anymore, but um, that's how I met my co-founder and we made a big mm-hmm. pivot and been going on since then. Very cool. And um, so before we get into too much of the details of what you guys are working on and building, and I mean, I think I think there's a little bit of, uh, I have a, I need to start with, the average college student isn't acquiring a portfolio of, of rentals what was the catalyst there? Like, how did that happen? Was there like a, you know, your parents bought some, I love the, I love the story on Twitter. Like, here's how I became a millionaire at 25, right? <laughs> you know, I stopped buying Starbucks. I get up early at five thirty, and my parents left me an endowment of 10 million. Right. Or did you just like, you hustled it? Like what, what was that story? No. So, I mean, I, I won't, I won't shoot you guys like this is Twitter. Um, so we, uh, I, it was a lot of both, to be completely honest. I, I built out a, you know, like I, I've been an entrepreneur since I was like 16, had multiple service businesses. I, I built up a, a small six figure, uh, like, you know, house washing business early on in, in high school and into college. And um, I kind of transitioned that a little bit into building a small construction company um, and leveraged that into starting to do some flips. And once I'd kind of like proved out a model, um, to a certain extent that I, I felt was pretty good, you know, did kind of the classic bigger pockets burr stuff back when you could still do that when interest rates weren't 7%. Um, I, I raised a little bit of money from family and started buying low income housing stuff, turning it into section eight. Um, and then, uh, you know, continuing to, um, refinance. I would say the one thing I was really good at was it was kind of a weird mix was I had a construction company and I was, I was really dedicated to underwriting. Um, and so I got really good deals, got mm. lucky multiple times, and had family support all kind of at the same time. And that was the catalyst. But um, yeah, a little bit of both, I'd say. Yeah, well, I, I, I appreciate you sharing that because I think oftentimes it's too easily assumed like, well, that must be nice, right? Must be nice to have this. Must be nice to have bought this. But the reality is of like real estate oftentimes can be a very messy and complicated uh, business because people are, are involved in every angle and it, you know, it can be challenging. So good on you. Uh, I imagine there, 
that just I want to like imagine the conversations you're having with your your business professor of like one day when you graduate you'll learn how this money thing works and turns out you're their landlord or something like along those lines so it's, uh, it's wanna... uh, yeah it was a little interesting I managed to get the the double dropout stars so it's there you impressive. go yeah that's the way to do it um you know you're at an interesting you're still an early stage startup here appreciate. Uh, and this is probably a pr- pretty precarious time to be an early stage startup. I mean, residential real estate, both the rentals and the for sale side has just been going sky high and sky low really fast lately, like very volatile in comparison to, you know, historical trends. Uh, and especially with, um, even VC backed businesses, you know, if you're, if you're reliant on venture capital, and you're building up a model that requires a burn for any amount of time right now, it's a little scary because, you know, venture has pulled back, especially in the real estate area. Um, can you talk a little bit about like, what's that been like pressing through and breaking through the, you know, the, the challenges that you're undoubtedly facing and, you know, what's been the most challenging thing so far? Absolutely. So I would say that we we're a bit of a weird case in which, um, Obviously, there's a lot of downsides to being uh, vertically integrated, but one of the main positives uh, is that in a lot of ways, I feel like our biggest struggles have been um, in the first few months that we were working, whereas now, you know, we have a really good sales channel, we're growing like crazy, and we're in a lot of ways, one of the few investments that our our seed investors is still, you know, very, very excited about and very happy with because, um, you know, frankly, we're... Uh, we're selling ramen in a recession in a lot of ways when it comes to the way that um, we're looking at the business of, of rentals. We're looking at things from the expense side primarily, um, you know, trying to reduce unnecessary spend instead of, you know, um, a lot of flashy, um, over-the-top tech plays in an industry that, frankly, is mm-hmm. like you said, kind of messy and human-oriented. And we're trying to, you know, I'm a, I'm I'm a small-town Midwest uh, guy who. Um, has built up a decent sized portfolio with a, a lot of the same ideas that go into um, our business model. And um, I guess the hardest thing starting out was, you know, really getting traction in this industry is really hard. Um, as everybody knows, who's listening, prop tech is not, I mean, it, it, it's been relatively well received over the last six to 12 months, but it's, it's, it's certainly no generative AI. Um, and so it's always a little bit hard in that realm um, but on top of that, you know, being in a small town um, like Columbia, Missouri, we have some absolute giants, which I, I'm excited to talk about my co-founder as well, who's one of the founders of one of them. But, um, you know, making those connections, being able to convince people to um, to see the vision was very hard early on. But, mm-hmm. um, uh, but yeah, and, and, and it, it also bringing talent into the Midwest is incredibly hard. Um and the ecosystem's not really as built out as you know where I'm sitting right now in Austin or San Francisco, and and so yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I grabbed coffee with um, there's another tech company here based downtown Rapid City, and I uh, grabbed coffee with their uh, head of marketing, and we were kind of just sharing uh, more about how we're hiring and what we're doing to find talent. And I I'm in a fortune position; I hire nationwide remotely. And, uh, unfortunately they are not, they're like, we have to, we have to hire local. That's how the, we do things around here. And I'm like, well, you, you're pulling from a small, it's just a small pond, you know, 
what you're looking at and talent wise. And the challenge is I'm competing, you know, to hire those exact same people. The difference is I'm paying a Chicago based salary right? for someone who's yeah, living in absolutely. rapid city and you're paying a rapid city based salary. You know, I have a significant advantage, uh, to, to winning that talent. Um, I, I'm just kind of guessing Missouri, there, there are many, uh, many VCs and startup companies in your area. So you'd actually be really surprised. Um, Columbia, uh, Casey and St. Louis are three of the biggest Midwest cities when it comes to VC and startups. Um, there's two main ones that are kind of household names that have come out of Columbia, which is in a lot of ways, I mean, it's a great rental market, but it, it's kind of a, uh, very much a, a small town college town. Uh, but mm. Zapier and Equipment Share both won actually the same oh. competition that I did and came out of this town. So they're actually advisors on our board. And my co-founder is one of the founders of Equipment Share. So we have like a, a, a very strange, weird amount of backing, to be completely honest, for being very like cool. a little speck on the map. But yeah. Yeah. Well, very cool. And then the, the last question I have to ask you on Missouri, and then we'll, we'll keep going down into property management. Throwed rolls. You been? Throw you know rolls. what I'm talking about? Yeah, so I'm actually from Springfield, yep. I do know what you're talking about. Uh, I, I, I didn't know where, yep. I couldn't remember where it was. I was on a road trip and we seen the billboard and we were hungry. We were like, that place looks like it's just down home cooking for everyone listening to, you got to understand this. You just pull off in the middle of nowhere on the highway, okay? And this looks like there's nothing. You have to drive like a quarter mile off the, the off ramp. And then you come to this restaurant and it's massive. And it just looks like a like an old style wooden you know, type like bar kind of place, but it's really big and you walk in and it's just, it's overwhelming. It's a museum. It's a, it's an attraction. And then the number of people in there eating, but while you're eating, they bring out, they'll bring out your seconds and dish up your plate. But while you're eating, they got these rolls. And when I say rolls, I mean, they're like half a loaf of bread rolls and they're hot, ready to roll. And they literally just, who wants a roll and throw it across the restaurant and you catch it. And it, that, we left with like half a dozen. <laughs> oh yeah, they're great. I think they hired like every XMLB pitcher within the Midwest just to yeah, just to hit Graham on the head. Oh man, what a good time! So let's let's jump into appreciate. You guys describe yourself as tech-enabled property management. You know, we've had a few different um, tech-enabled property management companies on the show, all varying degrees to how they define that. How do you define that, and what is that? do to make your business different? So I, I guess I'd like to start by kind of as a high level, what we are trying to do on the software and data side is go about an inch wide and 10 miles deep when it comes to our approach to owner service and owner portfolio analytics. Mm -hmm. uh, so what we're collecting, um, I, I guess let's, let's start here. The software that we're building all comes down to being able to understand what's in your portfolio where is it making money? Where is it losing money? Uh, auto cost segregation and um, basically extreme granularity into um, how money is being spent, whether it's efficient and tracking those things over time. Uh, so one of the main things that a lot of people understand um, pretty implicitly is that uh, we track depreciation cycles for every major um, fixed and on a fixed asset on the property, which is massively valuable when it comes time to sell the property or when it, when it comes time to um, estimate future expenses. Now, we're not just doing that there, but um, there's a lot of data points that are, frankly, a black box right now when working with third-party managers because after after and if it's collected, uh, 
it basically just disappears. You have no idea what's going on. And mm. one of my biggest frustrations when I was starting to build my portfolio was that I really had no clue my cash positioning. One of our hypotheses is that the average landlord in, in America is uh, really in the dark, I guess you could say, about um, where their cash is at any point in time. And a lot of them are using next month's rent to pay this month's expenses and are mm. just gearing themselves up for liquidity problem because they're not properly accounting for taxes. They're not properly uh, cost segregating and depreciating everything that they could simply because you know they have 10 units and they're a lawyer, a doctor, and, and they don't have the economies of scale to really dive deep. So we believe that there are a ton of inefficiencies on the um, uh, in, in how data is handled and um, and also just this industry in general that we're trying to fix with technology. Got it. And then let, let, let's kind of dig a little further here. I mean, you know, as a, a service-based business, if you will, like, cool, you guys use tech. And that sounds fun and all gravy, but like, what's the, where does that actually impact thing and i and i'm looking at it like you know if i were you know in your shoes i would be looking at how does this decrease operations expense or how does this increase my margins you talked about some of the benefits to the owner what does it change for your business yeah absolutely so on our business one of the core things that we're doing that's different from the industry at large is the way that we honestly look at the tie between your business and our business um, so as a lot of people understand, um, that have worked with third party managers, the business model around management is just fundamentally broken. There, uh, are a ton of fees, um, constantly onboarding fees, markups on every billable activity, uh, leasing fees. Um, you know, my, my ex property manager actually, um, you know, charged me renewal fees too. So there was, you know, there's really no way out on that. Um, and so what we do is we, we don't mark up anything. We have uh, no top line revenue fee at all. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, we don't have any, any turnover incentive. Um, but instead, we take a percentage of net operating income. So a lot of what we're doing and what we're tracking internally ends up benefiting both sides of the group because we pass all of, our, or all of your expenses through at cost um, as the owner. And... And therefore, as the system becomes more profitable, we become more profitable as well. So one really simple example and simple story is, uh, you know, the in in kind of the region that we operate, which is mid-Missouri, we're in, we're in four cities right now. Um, the average property manager charges about $60 per hour in labor, but it, they, their costs are about 40 So every time there's a rehab or an expense, you know, they have no incentive to be efficient. They're going to run to Home Depot three times, maybe stop to use the restroom at McDonald's on the way because they're going to pass that on to the owner. And they don't care about the cost of procurement of materials, nor do they care about the cost of procurement of labor. And so one of the things that we do is we warehouse all of the most common and highest margin um, materials that are used within the rental property management system. And then we pass that on to the owner. And obviously, when we do that, everybody makes more money. Got it. And see, this is one of those things like, you know, I, I'm sure there's plenty of room for debate about how that's possible and, you know, how that compares to the average model because the average model, like you said, like there's, there is a markup on that. I do remember though, I want to say it was someone from Memphis Invest or something else. It was like one of those turnkey rental companies. And while I, I didn't end up putting a, my name in for a house after the presentation as compelling as it was to put money into Memphis. I'm still not convinced. Uh, <laughs> but I learned from that 
there was just some very simple things you mentioned, like having the most common things on hand. And there was simple things that they did. They were like, you know, we don't use globes that you have to screw in from the center on for your ceiling lights. Because invariably, someone unscrews it, the, the globe falls, it breaks. So they have all of their, you know, around their, their lights, they have things that you can just access the bulb without having to unscrew anything. And they standardize those. They standardize their faucets. They standardize their handles. They standardize the doorknobs. And it seems so simple and obvious to do that. Yet, I know it's not done. <laughs> it's right. Just, it's not that the step is not taken. Is that something that you you provide, like you like coach and work with your owners so that they understand and see the the values in that? Yeah, absolutely. So the the, the vast majority of our owners are, are fairly um, handoff type owners, where you know they they're high paid professionals or have you know another business where they really want to farm taxes and, and they want to be hands off. And um, all the technology that we are building is all around ex- mm-hmm. uh, essentially showing the owner that everything is being passed through at cost, you know, um, that, that the financials are kind of demystified, um, compared to like mm. the once per month app folio or buildium PDF statements that a lot of people are used to when working with the property manager. Um, and we make communication with the owner a lot easier as well. So if you have a question about a line item, you know, it's super easy just to, to right click it and, you know, have your, um, support person, um, have a contextualized, uh, question thread, um, you know, very easy right in front of everybody so that um, the the problem can be dealt with instead of just kind of being lost in bullet pointed email chains passed back and forth between people. Um, so how do you balance the uh, between being a, you know, a people business, right? Working with renters and owners and also a technology company where ideally there's some aim to leverage technology that gives you economies of scale beyond, you know, each, you know, service transaction, if you will. What's that been like? Absolutely. So that's kind of a two part question. So I'll start with the the first part of that question, which is how um, do we leverage technology into the economies of scale? So one of the the big things that we do is we centralize 95% of everything. The only things that are not centralized in our branches are the, 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 you know, the maybe 10% of what each individual property manager needs to do, um, when it comes to, uh, you know, leaving a lockbox on a door with tenant Turner or, um, you know, helping a tenant out in person and our maintenance team, but our entire like backend, if you will, our operating system is done from mm-hmm. uh, a mixture of corporate headquarters and, um, and overseas talent as well, um, for making sure that, um, everything is in the right place and, you know, uh, T's are crossed and I's are dotted. One of the things I say all the time is that property management is um, an incredibly complex business, but it's not complicated. It's very systematizable. Um, a lot of the softwares that are out nowadays are just frankly not properly glued together in a lot of ways. And so a lot of the internal tooling that we're doing very early is just automating, 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 mm-hmm. and making sure that um, balls are not dropped. Because anybody who's been within property management or managed their own stuff, kind of implicitly understands that um, this business is hard uh, and the hardest thing um, about it really is managing people. And most of managing people is communication, which is a good segue into the second part of the question, which is how do you manage people? So one of the biggest um, 
injustices, frankly, to both the owner's bottom line and the customers within this industry is how tenants are treated by this market. We, mm. we believe that because of the, the turnover incentive that the average third-party property manager has, um, turnover within the average mom and pop's a rental asset is far higher than it needs to be. If tenants are treated with a base level of respect and truly, you know, have a wonderful experience with working with a manager, you can mm-hmm. do so much to build goodwill for very cheap. So one, one example, um, we have a program with tenants where, you know, when we find out that they have a, a dog on onboarding, for example, um, once a year we send them, you know, a, a chewy gift card and a handwritten thank you note just saying, um, you know, hey, thanks so much for your, your you know, for working with us. Um, you know, you guys are great tenants, whatever. Um, and and that that's not just for the purpose of of being nice. It's 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 frankly very profitable to um, you know spend ten dollars of of um, the system's money in order to uh, in, increase retention rates considerably. Um, the I don't know if you guys are aware of the average uh, mom and pop third party. Uh, tenant stay is about 1.8 years, but the 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 buildings that are professionally managed by in in uh, in house property management companies keep people for like 2.8 years. So when every time you have to go in and incur vacancy and clean and paint and all all it's of expensive. these expensive, very very expensive things, and not not to mention risky, right? You're taking a a bird that's in the hand and you're you're trading it for for one that's in the bush. Um, so we, we, instead of trying to aim to maximize top line revenue as our number one goal, we try to maximize bottom line as our number one goal. And in doing so, we aim towards retention methods and, um, frankly, just treating people like people in this industry that's, that's very cold in a lot of ways and, and lacks um, good communication. So, Generally, the industry hasn't, um, hasn't performed well on reviews <laughs> and yeah. I think I think you touched on that I mean generally I think you know I, I, it's been a while since I looked at it but I think it was like something like the average property management company is like two and a half stars on Yelp and you know it's one of those things of like well what's what's broken and you know I, I've looked at it uh, a little bit and you know well, I came to the conclusion that it's not necessarily property management companies themselves but is the model and how they operate sometimes it plays against them. And, you know, that's just one of those things I, I think it kind of counts against them in, in trying to deliver those good services. You mentioned uh, Tenant Turner. You partner up with Tenant Turner. Yeah. So we, we use uh, Tenant Turner, Lead Simple, um, you know, a lot, a lot of the great softwares within. Um, uh, we actually are, are building our entire software stack on top of Doorloop. I um, mean, you know, obviously, they're an incredible company for um, building internal tooling. And, you know, we, we're not trying to um, reinvent the wheel on that side, but just create a much, much better owner-facing experience. Uh, I think that anybody who's who's been an owner that's used um, uh, a third-party company that uses the door loops or even the buildings mm-hmm. employees of the world kind of implicitly understand that those softwares are not built for them. Um, they're built for the customer, which is the, the property management company. And so what we're trying to do is kind of augment that experience and create a much better way for people to invest and a much better way for um, people to um, continually make money within this awesome industry. But uh, obviously, property management kind of sucks. So we're, we're doing that for people. So Very cool to hear you say that. You know, We had uh, Adam Mate from Door to Loop. He was on the show episode 142. 
But here you go. We're going back. James, James Barrett from Tenant Turner, episode 50. Uh, so shout out to James. Um, really That's an way OG. Back. Yeah, I want to say that to was uh, season season four. That was season four. And when this episode's air, when this episode airs, it'll be season fourteen. So you know, hey, uh, it's kind of cool. Obviously, uh, smart people keep good company. I think that's a phrase. I don't know, might be. But <laughs> uh, cool to hear that. Um, let's let's jump into a little bit about operations, like on boots on the ground. You guys are in a handful of cities. You mentioned that already. Um, and you, you talked about already centralizing as much as you can, but what do you have to put on the ground and what's it look like making sure that the on the ground services operate smoothly? So, yeah, I'm really glad you asked this because the, the most obvious question that we're asked constantly by VCs and other prop tech founders in general is like, why are you guys crazy enough to try to go vertical? Um, <laughs> and what we found is that there's a lot of naivety, honestly, when trying to tackle this industry. A lot of people believe that you can, um, you know, write a few lines of code and solve real world problems that require hammers in a way that's cost effective and sustainable. And what we're the, the approach that we're trying to be or that, that we're trying to take is that we're trying to um, be the bottom dollar highest value um, for our owners, including making sure that um, quality control is is able to be followed. You know, there's been a lot of softwares that um, believe you can connect random vendors to problems and snap your fingers and be able to to fix those issues. And while you can do that, it tends to cost two to three times more than having an in-house crew that's solving the same problems. And so especially in my industry, which is low-income housing multifamily, uh, mm-hmm. or my segment of the industry, you cannot be profitable and, and, and run these operations without sourcing. And so what we're really trying to build is a pathway for um, investors to be purchasing investor-grade assets in cash-flowing Midwestern um, cities and, and in doing so in a way that's not naive about the realities of uh, the blue-collar side of this business. And although it is harder to scale, um, it is, it's certainly not impossible. Um, and uh, we're, we're definitely... Making making quick work of it so far. Yeah, very cool. And yeah, I, mean, I imagine that's a bit of a challenge. And um, so let, let's let's talk about a little bit of how you're growing the business. Um, you know, uh, your your team tipped me off a little bit. Said you guys have been building up quite a bit of backlog. You got a wait list of owners wanting to work with you, and you're obviously releasing. Uh, you know, opening up capacity as you can. Um, but what are you doing to find the owners, or how are they? finding you because as i understand in the property management business this is one of the hardest pieces to crack yeah so for most people it is one of the hardest uh pieces to crack but um we're actually taking a bit of a different strategy and the reason that we're able to grow so fast is um we're actually working with both upstream and downstream sales partners to essentially be building this this aligned management stack that makes it very easy for you to understand what's going on in your portfolio, know all your data, um, mm-hmm. and then be able to invest uh, in individual assets, not not with us, but um, you know, uh, buy properties in Kansas City, buy properties in Columbia, and then we'll handle the management side for you as an aligned property management company. And so what's been wonderful is we don't have to compete when it comes to where our customers live. We are able to go to some of the best rental markets in the United States and then build a... Um, 
a management structure and then bring in private equity from the outside in order to uh, manage these assets. So, you know, obviously the growth model of property managers is horrific. You know, even if you make a sale, you have to, to wait nine nine months maybe sometimes for a contract to expire and then people move over a portion of their portfolio at a time and it's a very sticky industry and so we've found great success in going out and finding people who especially are looking to offset some tax liability and would like to invest in a very high cap rate environment like midwest or like the mm-hmm. midwest um, and especially mm-hmm. an investor grade multifamily that you know historically has not been large enough to have on on-site property management um, but we can fill that, that, that niche there and, and kind of bridge the gap where there's investor grade returns that can be tapped into, but there's not an, it historically been an investor grade, um, management structure behind it. That's aligned, um, like an in-house property management company would be. So that's why we've grown as quickly as we, we have and, and why we're about 500% oversubscribed right now from how quickly we've grown and wow. we've grown about 19 times faster than the average property management company. So we're off to the races, but. Wow, it sounds like uh, a whole lot of. I mean, that sounds like good news. Um, you know, I know you, you you had a lot of experience directly as an owner and and managing your own portfolio. Now managing others and you know going through a, a little bit of a different model as you described, verticalizing here. Did you go into that with any assumptions that have proven out to be wrong? And can you share uh, one of those and what you learned from that? Yeah, absolutely. So I. I, I wouldn't say that I came in with too many um, assumptions necessarily, but I guess the thing that I, I recognized very early on was that I didn't really know anything until I took a look into the data. The tenants that you think are great tenants are actually not that great. The tenants you think are bad tenants are actually not that bad because one of the primary indicators of how good a tenant is is simply how long they stay as a customer um, when you look into how expensive you know a turnover is uh, and then I didn't really run the numbers that actually, you know, a tenant paying late fees constantly is a great thing um, until I got into it. And um, uh, yeah, one of my biggest uh, misunderstandings, honestly, about this industry was just how powerful the tax side really is, Um, especially working Mm. with, you know, wealthy LPs that are looking into it. You know, I, I didn't, I always thought that cash flow was an offensive metric. But really what I found is for most people, cash flow is a defensive metric. It's, it's a way to hold on to the asset through ups and downs. And the Midwest is great for that, especially with 10 caps. Um, but uh, the tax side is what's so incredible. We work with a lot of low-income housing, and we work with a lot of multifamily that has a lot of capital expenses. And most of our LPs are getting uh, – or not LPs. We don't have a, a fund, but people who are investing in, in their own assets. Um, mm-hmm. But – Anyway, they're, they're getting most of their benefits really from um, depreciation and, and tax offsetting. And so a lot of what we're building on our side is about, you know, easy cost segregation and making it super um, efficient for your CPA to look through at the end of the year and, and um, be as efficient as possible getting those deductions. So I guess one of the big things that I didn't understand was just how much of this is about tax strategy. And, and you're passing a lot of that benefit on to your owners, which I'm going to venture a guess here and correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think that that's a typical service offered from property management. I hear property management companies, you know, generally is like we collect 10% of rents. There's a onboarding fee, like you mentioned, a turn, you know, turnover fee. We take the first month's rent as our like initial, 
Uh, and then, you know, it's all maintenance and service from there and you'll get a monthly report spit out by Appfolio. Like it's a minimal hands-on guidance. So when you found that, was that intentional or accidental that you really came into like, Hey, this is a significant value add we've got to do. So there are a few significant value adds, which I, I don't want to get too far into what, how we're using some of the owner's data. Cause it's a bit of the secret sauce, but, um, for anybody who, uh, who works with us, there's some, some pretty exciting things that we're doing to, to segment owners. But, um, the, uh, yeah, the, it was a bit of, bit of, bit of an accident, but fundamentally what we are trying to do is to change the role of the property manager from, you know, like you said, a very hands-off transactional, honestly, something that resembles more of a general contractor than a fiduciary manager. Um, into mm. a role that looks more like portfolio management partner, somebody that helps you maximize efficiency, somebody that helps you um, manage all pieces, parts, and partners of your business um, in one spot, um, and you know is looking more to be a long-term plan um, for a place to invest with or invest alongside. Sorry, um, instead of you know somebody that may be five percent better on maintenance and ten percent worse on marketing and you know just really being um flavor of the month when it comes to uh how how you're how you're handling everything so yeah as you progress and build a business and prove out this thesis um you know i i don't want to assume too much that you'll go back and need to raise venture capital, but you did mention talking to venture capitalists about the business and i know you have raised some money here and can you talk about the uniqueness of pitching this type business to the venture community? And what are some of the both questions, objections, and I'd also be very interested in the aha moments that occur in those conversations. Absolutely. So, I mean, I'm going to be completely honest. It's really hard. It takes a certain perspective on this business. And, and honestly, most of our traction, if you will, within the VC community is come from folks who, who, uh, our landlords themselves, first and foremost, which is a pretty big swath. And then um, the second part is anybody who's had a lot of experience within um, vertical services and, and tech-enabled services. Mm. Um, this is a weird industry. It's a weird segment. Uh, I, I, I want to talk a little bit about um, uh, how we've leveraged uh, Equipment Share's business model and success as well, um, my co-founder's previous company. Um, so they're a, about a $5 billion, I think, construction um, tech company. And really what they are is a data and services company. You know, they started out, they're a YC company in, in 2014, I believe, as, um, you know, Airbnb for construction equipment. And from my understanding, um, it didn't really end up that way. They ended up uh, leveraging a lot of the internal data of the equipment that's moving around um, mm. and using it to add more efficiency to job sites. And that's how they've, they've grown so quickly and taken over market share. And, you know, I've been a, a cautious admirer of equipment share for quite a long time. Um, some would, some would say a fanboy when I was in Columbia, um, because <laughs> what I could see from, you know, the leadership is that they fundamentally understood a very, very hard business to crack. They understood what their people needed, what their customers wanted, and they understood how to actually solve the problem in a way that added efficiency and didn't just look shiny. And so we've taken a lot of notes out of their playbook. Um, and frankly, 
when having conversations with VCs, I mean, it, I'm not going to lie, it does kind of help to have the cloud of, of Brad on, on our side. But um, more than anything, it's been getting into the nitty gritty of how much customer discovery we've gone through, how much inefficiency there is within the system, and just how big of a mm-hmm. ship can be turned around with relatively small changes. I like to say commercial real estate, especially low-income multifamily that's plagued by swaths of you know slumlord types, um, is a gigantic door that swings on very small hinges. So when you're able to align incentives uh, in such a high-margin business, or sorry, such a low-margin business with such high overhead, Mm-hmm. When you when you're able to um, tweak very 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 tiny aspects that lead to the bottom line, what ends up happening is you know obviously after dividing it by a cap rate, um, you end up with massive increases in value. And so when pitching to VCs and really helping them understand just how important the managerial side was in driving value, you know at first they're looking at it as okay, this is a horrible business. It's thirty two percent margin. It's it's you know it's people. It's 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 cars, it's vehicles. People don't understand right away. But once you start opening their eyes to just how much value you're creating and just how important of an asset you are, um, you're controlling the data around and how much money is flowing through it in a lot of different ways, people's minds and their hearts start opening up a little bit. They start seeing the dollar bills. Because Mm -hmm. like I said early on, um, we're not trying to go uh, crazy horizontal. We're trying to build an incredible system to build a lot of wealth for a relatively small and valuable amount of people um, and then be able to control the data that comes out of that asset to increase efficiency and overall provide a better um, all-in-one solution for owners when it comes to portfolio management. Um, and so once, once you know, we kind of started digging deep into that with um, some VCs, especially our seed VC, um, term sheets weren't hard to get. You, you, got, you guys all know how it is. We, uh, I like to say we... It took us uh, seven months to raise seventy k, and then seven minutes to raise a hundred or one point seven. So it was uh, it was a bit interesting. Um, everybody ended up piling in, but we we took just under a million because the other benefit that we have is um, you know we're not profitable, but uh, we're we're operationally profitable. Um, so we're mm-hmm. obviously spending quite a lot of money on um, sales, marketing, and and technology, but um, overall our burn is is not to sustain ourselves in, in a way that a lot of people are. So the VC market, you know, over the last six months, is I said earlier, we're selling ramen in a recession. I didn't mean we're selling ramen to our owners. I mean, we're selling ramen to the VC market. They look at us and they see a company that is an incredible bet with incredible, incredible people and the ability to weather a storm and create a ton of value through expense side efficiency. And they love our approach and, um, yeah, we, we actually have a, a pretty decent weight line on the VC side as well, which is so weird for such a such a non-standard um, company like we are. Good on you guys. I mean, you keep saying ramen, though. I'm just uh, I'm just <laughs> thinking about we got a ramen shop downtown here, Bokujo Ramen. Shout out to Justin Warner from the Food Network uh, who, who runs that hey, place. Hey, there we uh, go. Yeah, I'm just I'm thinking about that now. I got a little distracted. All right, Nick, we're going to transition here, jumping into the bottom of the show to a segment we'd like to call For the Future. For the Future is when I get to ask each guest who comes on the show to give their best predictions based on the following four questions. Nick, are you ready to play? I am very ready, Nate. All right, let's do this. Number one, what does Appreciate look like one year from now? I believe Appreciate will 
far surpass our goals, which is to be about 25x bigger than we are. Um, I think we'll be about 35 times larger at our current growth rate and what <clears throat> we've been able to operationally sustain um, in total assets under management. So I think overall, we'd like to have roughly $4 billion, um, in assets under management um, by then. And uh, yeah, that's the goal. Wow. Wow. Question number two, five years from now, will we still have to say tech-enabled property management and why? So I really hope not. I hope you just say appreciate, but um, you know, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure of that. I, I think, obviously, property management as a whole is getting more and more tech-enabled in a way that it kind of waters down the meeting. And so I think in that way, you're, you're absolutely correct. But really what we're trying to do is not enable tech or property management, but enable um, portfolio growth in a technology hmm. technological way that's not being done and a big part of that is management but but really it's one piece of the pie and so when it comes to us um you know i i don't know that we'll fit within that bucket within five years i hope you uncovered the spirit behind the question which was if you're using a computer and if you have an email and you'd use even docusign are you not tech enabled and so uh i, I appreciate he's like what i did there uh, <laughs> you uncovering that, that in the office. <laughs> I love it. Uh, I'll, I owe you whatever, whatever the, uh, the fee is you put that on my tab, but there needs to be, uh, there needs to be a category defining for, um, the, the, the second wave, the new wave, what, whatever this is. And, and if it, this is just the new normal, if it's the new standard, that's maybe that's fine. But I feel like there is a prefix or there is some sort of like defining that needs to happen, I think, in this I, segment. I, I totally agree. So the way that I would define it is I, I, I really actually think most property managers are, are tech enabled. Um, you know, we use it because it's the easiest way to kind of, um, you know, get on shows like yours. But um, overall, what we're actually trying to do is create a blue ocean product that is that is a category definer um, in a way mm -hmm. that's just not been done. We're trying to become the central piece of all puzzle or uh, central piece of the uh, of the puzzle when it comes to connecting all players that, that go through um, what it looks like to run a profitable operation. And so there's some really interesting stuff that um, I'm sure you guys will see coming out from us in about six months. But um, we, we want to be a category definer and, and not just, you know, continue to add DocuSign and, um, <laughs> and other tools uh, on onto the docket in order to to further get away from uh, the old guys, I guess. Very cool. I'll be, I'll be looking forward to it. You'll have to keep us in the loop. Um, this will be the first time I actually say this in a podcast episode. So it's possible I will have already started this segment by the time this episode airs. Maybe not. We're going to be, uh, we're going to be taking voicemails. We got a phone number set up. And so for owners, for founders, investors who want to make announcements and get it aired on the Technus podcast. You can just call in the phone number and leave a message after the beep. Uh, and then we're going to be doing some segments uh, with that. So as you guys have uh, some announcements in the future, um, that number will be, it'll be, be debuting soon. I'm not ready to give it out because I'm, I'm a little gun shy about this. I shouldn't have even said anything, but there it is. It's official. Um, that's coming here. All right. Question number three on for the future. What's one industry trend you think will continue? but you wish would go away? Um, I think digging deeper into 
um, short-term rentals is a is in a lot of ways a mistake when it comes to housing in America. I think that overall, it's there's the contrarian class. view. A, All right, there's the contrarian view. I know. I'm sorry for everybody who hates me right now, but I believe short-term rentals are um, something that, that pulls housing stock from, um, especially. Uh, you know, something that I care a lot about, which is affordable housing. Um, I believe that uh, not only is it relatively bad for people, but I think it's one of the few things within real estate that has bipartisan support uh, legislatively to be stopped. And so I think all the money that's being poured into STRs has a, a lot of legislative risk that's not being accounted for in valuations and is not being accounted for in, in risk profiles. And, uh, you know, I know a lot of people myself that, that own quite a lot of STRs that, um, you know, are, are, are too siloed within that risk category. And I, I think a lot of people are going to have some pain there within the next five to 10 years if, if this trend continues. There's a maturing of that market that's happening. Uh, and I think consumers also uh, recognizing uh, that the, the subpar experience doesn't make worth, you know, booking through Airbnb. You know, the, the mystique, I think, maybe is a little off and, and gone of, like, the fun of, like, just the, the glimmer of, hey, I'm getting an Airbnb. And it used to be fun until, you know, and I'll, I'll even admit, like, sometimes I'm like, I'm just in a hard hotel because I know it's right off the ho- it's right off the highway exit. I'm not going to need a hot tub for the night. I literally just need to sleep, get up, grab coffee, and hit the road. And, you know, there's just... But the the maturity, I, I, I've had we've had a handful of great conversations coming up. We've got uh, Wander and uh, Rove Travel, the both be on the show here, and you know um, we hit on that. There's uh, going to be some separations within the market, uh, and I think those who can't operate professionally will have to be squeezed out for sure. Absolutely, I think I think my calling it like Kobe moment is I I would be. Uh, curious and worried to see how many second homes have been underwritten as investment properties with short-term rental um, numbers that would not cut it as long-term rental numbers and how much that's caused inflation in, in you know, class A vacation type areas. Um, you know, I'm not entirely sure of that, but um, that, that's my, uh, my, my hypothesis. There it is. All right. <laughs> Final of for the future, what's one thing you believe will dramatically change or fade away in real estate as a result of tech advances? Um, I think the archetype of the slumlord in a lot of ways um, is something that will be going away. I think that the competition model there um, doesn't really make a lot of sense, um, especially as efficiency tools like what Appreciate is building and what, you know, a lot of us on this podcast are building continue to um, add to the difference in operational capability between those who do it well and those who do it to the minimal uh, place that they can. And so the spread between what assets are and what assets could be um, becomes Mm -hmm. more and more enticing for folks like uh, the people who invest with us to come and gobble up um, uh, these assets and, and turn them around and add a ton of value. So I think that that's something that will shrink over time, which is actually you know, far better for the rental market. And I think that tools like what we're building as well help to um, generally turn the sentiment around on, on whether that is acceptable from the tenant side. Do I need to live in a place that doesn't treat me like a customer? You know, so I, I think in general, that's something that will be going by the wayside over time. I hope so. 
All right, last three here. Nick, these are about you, so our listeners get to know you just a bit better. First one, what are you reading? So uh, I'm actually on a, on a bit of a um, on a spiritual kick right now, reading like some Marcus Aurelius stuff and you know, trying to get kind of in, more in touch with uh, myself as a person. So I, I've had a long storied history of reading nothing but nonfiction real estate books because I, uh, I'm a bit of a nerd. And so I'm trying to become... Um, you know, more, more valuable as a, uh, as a long-term thinker. And so I'm, I'm, I'm reading quite a lot of, of books like that. I'm also reading, um, uh, thus spoke Zarathustra right now by, uh, Friedrich Nietzsche, which is a, a very confusing book, but, um, that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's been quite the trip. All right. I love it when we get non-real estate books, by the way. I mean, I'm, you know, everything from novels to, uh, you know, having spirituality can be, well, this is just a self-help, whatever. I, I think there's a lot of variety, but it's good to have other interests. I think it helps with overall perspective. Um, you know, when you, when you get a new perspective and then you apply it to the thing that you do on a regular basis. All right. Number Absolutely. two, who are you learning from? Um, I would say the number one person that I'm learning from right now is Javik Slack's um, Javik is the, um, uh, CEO of equipment share. And he's, uh, for, from my understanding, he's pretty much the engine behind, uh, equipment share. And so there's a lot of similarities between our business models and a lot of similarities between the realities of the challenges that we are going to have to overcome to build this mm-hmm. into the, the third billion dollar business that's come out of Columbia, Missouri. And so, you know, he's a, he's a brilliant man, um, who is, uh, very in touch with his employees and um, the hardest worker I've ever met. So, you know, really meeting with him and trying to understand what it looks like and what it takes to run an organization, the size of which he's created um, Mm -hmm. uh, has been wonderful for me. All right. Last one here. What inspires you? It's a good question. I would say what inspires me is the belief that, Anybody can do this within real estate. Um, I, I am a big believer that uh, real estate is the, the primary wealth maker for um, the average American. And you know, in, in a time when institutions are coming and just gobbling up a lot of the housing stock um, in general, I, uh, I am very much um, inspired by the idea that um, uh, if, if we're able to help kind of keep this alive a little bit, then there can be a lot of great um, achievements that, that we can be partners with alongside. And so the idea of, you know, really uh, the bootstrapped American inspires me, even though, mm-hmm. you know, I couldn't claim to be that, but um, I'd love to help enable it. This has been awesome. Thanks, Nick, for your time. Thanks for sharing a lot of your your backstory, but also you know going into detail on what Appreciate is building and you know how it's a quite a different approach to property management business. But I think also that's that's great for the industry to see. Hey, maybe there's a new way of doing things. Before we close out, for those who want to get connected to you and or learn more about Appreciate, where do they go? How do they do that? Yeah, absolutely. So the best way is to email founders at Appreciate.io if you'd like to speak with me. Um, we also, uh, if you'd like to invest alongside us, we use sales at appreciate.io. Um, and, uh, and yeah, you can read about us as well on our website, which is appreciate.io. So 
there it is. Uh, next time I'm in Missouri for some throwed rolls, which I don't know when that'll be, <laughs> but you'd better be believe that I will, I will be stopping. I'll give you a call. Uh, and then we'll have to, we'll have to stop on by. Absolutely. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll stop by Logboat. Got to give them a shout out. They're, uh, there the best beer in town. So boom. All right. We'll catch you then. All right. Catch you then. Thanks for listening to TechNest, the PropTech podcast. Find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode on technest.io. You can get future episodes delivered to your ears directly by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and all other major podcast apps. Follow TechNest on social media to stay up to speed on new developments, resources, and announcements in PropTech. Your support is greatly appreciated. There's two ways you can directly support this podcast. Share episodes you find interesting and then leave a review of the show in the App Store. From Nate and the TechNest team, thanks for listening.